Meruchim abayim, ladies, welcome. So we have today Parashat Vayeshev. And uh, we also have uh, the upcoming uh, holiday of Hanukkah. Shiavu alenu letovah, amen. There must be some connection between the parashiyot. Maybe we'll get to it. I don't think it's a coincidence. Always Parashat Vayeshev and Miketz always lands on Hanukkah. Even if you don't have your calendar with you. If you come to shul and you hear them reading Parashat Vayeshev, that's a sign to take out your menorah and to prepare the wicks and the oil, Hanukkah and the jelly donuts, of course. Hanukkah cannot be that far away. So, if we believe that the Parashiyot are connected to the Zman, to the time of the year, so there must be some themes from the parashah that are connected to the holiday as well. But we must go slow. Let's read some of the pesukim from the parashah itself. Let's just review where we're holding. This is after Yaakov Avinu survived Esav in last week's parashah, and uh, he had a little incident with his daughter Dina, which we didn't talk about, and then finally he makes his way home. This is after 22 years being away from his father's house. And finally he settles down in the land of his father, which is the land of Canaan. Now the Pasuk. These are the children. That's the way I'm learning. Toledot means descendants. Like Ele Toledot Noah. And then it tells us... Uh, so, who's the Toledot of Yaakov? Well, I know, he has 12 children. But the Torah doesn't say that. Yosef. So right away I'm bothered. Is that true? Yosef. I mean, the man had 12 tribes. And all of a sudden, we know he favored Yosef, but there's a limit how much you can favor it, as if the other children don't even exist. The Torah says, Yosef. So, uh, the Rashi deals with this question. She writes, <clears throat> that she says, and I quote, Umedrash Agada Doresh, Tala Akatuf Toldot Yaakov Be Yosef. It's true he had many children. But all the children are really on the account of Yosef. For different reasons. Yaakov Abinu, when he went down to get married, his real intention was just to marry Rachel and have Yosef. Of course, that didn't work out. So what ended up happening? He ended up working for seven years and he ended up getting Le'ah. So now we had to work another seven years in order to get Rachel. In the interim, what happened? Le'ah would give birth to four children. But those four children are only born because Yaakov was trying to get Rachel. And now all of a sudden those four are born. And now Rachel, poor thing, was not able to have children. So what did she do? She said, well... If you can't have children from me, take my maidservant. So she gave Yaakov Bilha, and he has two more children from Bilha, which they only came because Yaakov's trying to bring Yosef into the world. And then Le'ah said, well, if you're taking a maidservant from Rachel, you should take a maidservant from me, and therefore she gave him Zilpah, and they had another two children. So now you have four, six, uh, uh, eight. And now, uh, and now what happens? And now... All of a sudden, one day, uh, the, the Uven has the Dudaim, and uh, the Dudaim, she gives, he gives the Dudaim to Rachel. And Le'ah comes along and says, hey, wait, 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 you want the Dudaim? You have to give me Yaakov. So Yosef is not even born yet. And sure enough, two more children, Yisachar and Zebulun, are born. So now, finally, after all that, who's born? Yosef. So all those children weren't supposed to be born, technically. I mean, I know they're supposed to be born in some divine way, but if we talk in a simple way, they were only born because Yaakov was trying to bring Yosef into the world. And if you remember, once he gave birth to Yosef, what did he tell his wives? Let's get out of here. 
let's get out of here, let's go home, let's go back to Israel, I'm done. Uh, Yosef came into the world. But thanks to Yosef, all the other children were born. So therefore, all the Toledot of Yaakov actually are only on account of Yosef. So that would be a beautiful rendering of the reading of Rashi. Rashi then says something else. That the events, don't read the word Toledot as uh, biological children, but read it that Toledot, the occurrences. Ele Toledot Yaakov, Yosef. A lot of the occurrences that happened to Yaakov would actually happen to Yosef. They shared uh, many things together. Uh, one of the things is they both had uh, brothers that caused them trouble. Yaakov Abinu had the problem with Esav. Esav obviously caused them to uh, run away. And Yosef had the problem in this week's parashah with his brothers, and they actually caused him uh, to flee or to be estranged into a foreign country. So that's, that's another, uh, another item. So therefore the toldot, the toldot was similar. But there's another explanation. When it comes and tells us, Ele toldot Yaakov Yosef, that although we know Yaakov had other children, but Yosef was special. Now all our children are special, I know that. But Yosef was extra special. In what sense? In the sense that we know that the Avot have a certain uh, strength that only the Avot have. And that's the strength that's called Ma'aseh Avot Simanda Banim. We talked about this a lot. And we're going to talk about it a lot in the future, I hope. And that means that the lives of the Avot were so impactful that they did not only affect their own lives, but they had far-reaching consequences on the lives of the Jewish nation. Their private lives and their private episodes and stories would become the Jewish national story. So therefore, we always have to study Ma'aseh Avot and then try to figure out how did this influence and have a, um, a ripple effect on Ma'aseh Avot Siman Bani. This is... A very important yesod. Now, not everybody has this power. Abraham has it. Yitzhak has it. Yaakov has it. Uh, the Hidush over here of the Pasuk is coming to tell us, Ele Toledot Yaakov Yosef. That actually put a hyphen between Yaakov and Yosef, as if to say, Yosef is the continuation of Yaakov. And that just like Yaakov, has that ability to do to influence uh, Jewish history in the future, Yosef would have the same powers and the same strength, which is a tremendous hadush. That means we're putting Yosef in a, uh, a category like the Avot. And if you think about it for a second, if you notice that when Yaakov Avinu actually blesses Yosef, in Parashat Vayichi. So he says to him uh, uh, in his blessings, he says, Misham Evan Yisrael. He refers to Yosef as the Evan of Yisrael, the, the rock of Israel. And what does it mean? And the simple explanation is he was saying that when you didn't succumb to the sin of going with Eshet Potiphar, you earned your right to have one of the rocks, the stones on the Hoshan of the Kohen Gadol with your name on it. If you would have succumbed to the sin, that rock would have been missing. And therefore, Misham, from over there, what you did with Eshet Potiphar, or Eben Yisrael, you become also represented in the Eben. But there's a deeper explanation why Yosef is referred to as Eben. Because Yosef, if you look in Parashat uh, Vayichi, the last Pesukim in Parashat Vayichi tell us that Yosef dies. Now, I know that doesn't surprise you. Vayamot Yosef bin Me'av ve'esr shanim. He died after 110 years. Vayachantu otu ve'isim ba'aron. And they buried him in the Aron in Mitzrayim. The problem is, when you open up the next parasha after Vayichi, in Shemot, the Pasuk says, Vayamot Yosef ve'chol ehav ve'chol adorahu. And Yosef died with all the brothers. Hold on, how many times did he die? You already told me that he died in the end of Bereshit. Now you're telling me he dies in the beginning of Shemot? What's this 
reason why the Torah would write that Yosef dies twice. By nobody else does it say they die twice. Abraham dies once, Yitzhak and Yaakov die once, the Shebatim die once, and Yosef, he dies at the end of Bereshit, and he dies in the beginning of Shemot. You know what the explanation is? Because in Bereshit, that's the book of the Avot. And therefore in Bereshit, Yosef is looked at as one of the Avot. And therefore, he dies with Abraham, Yitzhak and Yaakov in their book. Bereshit is the Ma'aseh Avot. And therefore, he deserves to be mentioned in that book. In Shemot, that's referring to the book now of Siman Nabanim. Now, all that happened in Bereshit would now start to come true in the book of Shemot. Well, Yosef is not only considered like a father, but he's also considered like a son. So therefore, as a tribe, he's mentioned again in Shemot, Vayamot Yosef Echolehav. So Yosef is living as a hybrid. Sometimes he has a deen as an ad, and sometimes he has a deen of a ben. And that's why Yaakov calls him Evan. Because what's the first two letters of Evan? Ab. And what's the second two letters of Evan? Ben. So therefore, that's what he is. He's the Evan. He's the Ab, and he's the Ben. Evan Yisrael. Because, because he, he can be both, uh, Yosef, which is, which is an incredible, incredible uh, power. So somebody asked me, but Rabbi, it says Abraham made Shahrit. And that's something that lasts for the generations. And that's why the second letter of Abraham's name is Bet, because Bet stands for Boker, which is the Shahrit, is the morning. And Yitzhak made Tefilat Minha. And that's why the letter of Yitzhak, the second letter is Sadi for Sahurayim. Sahurayim is the afternoon, which is when we pray Minha. And Yaakov made Arbit. The second letter of Yaakov is Ayin, which is Erev, which is night. So all the Avot, they made the Tefilot, and that's what we say every day, Shema Yisrael, Shema is Shahrit, Minha, Arbit. But if Yosef is one of the Avot, what Tefilah did he make? And the Zohar Kedosh says, Musaf. Very good, Musaf. And that's why it's called Musaf. Musaf Belashon, Yosef. So therefore he's in that special, uh, special category. Oh, now once you're telling me this, so therefore the Pasuk here is teaching me a big secret. Ele Toledot Yaakov Yosef. That uh, Yaakov and Yosef are sharing uh, uh, similar qualities. I'll give you another quality that they share to show you that Yosef is one of the Avot. Answer this question, meaning um, answer it right. Don't answer it wrong, please. <laughs> the question that I'm asking you is, which one of the Avot, or which personality in Tanakh gave birth to the Shevatim? It's a right, ladies. Which person? Abraham did not give birth to Shevatim. Yitzhak did not give birth to Shevatim. Which personality gave birth to Shevatim? And Yosef. Yosef also gave birth to Shevatim. Menashe Ephraim. So therefore you see, when you talk about the Toledot of Bnei Israel, it's Yaakov and Yosef. Both contributed to the Toledot. Yaakov has tribes and Yosef has tribes. They both have Toledot, which puts Yosef in a category of his own. He's also producing Shebatim. None of the other Shebatim produced Shebatim. Shebatim produced, you know, G4, Generation 4, Generation 5. But they didn't produce Shebatim. Yosef is on the higher level. That is, he has a deen of an Av. There's far-reaching lessons to this, because now we have to relearn the story of Yosef and try to figure out how his life influences Jewish history. So I'll tell you what I, what I once uh, came across. The Jewish people become slaves in Egypt. We know that story. Slaves in Egypt. They were slaves in Mitzrayim. Everybody knows the story. Now, that, that's, that's happened to us. We're the Banim. So we got to trace back. When did this happen to the Avot? So I started to search. We have to find an Av that went down to Mitzrayim. I found it. Avraham. Only problem is, he wasn't an Evid. Well, so Avraham is... That, that's not going to work. Oh, but I found one of the Avot that was an Evid. That's Yaakov. He was an Evid for Laban. Only problem is that wasn't, wasn't in Mitzrayim. That was in Haram. So, as they say in America, close but no cigar. So, 
where, where do we have this ma'aseh avot of somebody that went down to Mitzrayim and was avid? Yosef HaSadiq. Yosef HaSadiq was sold down to Mitzrayim and he was an avid in the house of Potiphar and then he was an avid in the prison. He was incarcerated. And therefore Yosef is already, we see the ma'aseh avot He's the one that uh, went down. And interestingly enough, interestingly enough, Yosef's going down to Mitzrayim, there's a pasuk in the Torah. V'zacharta ki eved ha'ita be'eres Mitzrayim. Now, eved ha'ita? Eved is singular. It should say v'zacharta or uzchartem ki avadim. But the pasuk is coming to hint v'zacharta ki eved ha'ita. Yitziat Mitzrayim didn't start with avadim. Yitziat Mitzrayim starts with eved. And because of that, Eved, the Eved eventually will turn into Abadim. That's Ma'aseh Avot, Siman Abadim. Now I have, I have great news that there was also Yitziat Mitzrayim. And Yitziat Mitzrayim is obviously in the story of Yosef when he was in prison for those 12 years, he was incarcerated. And then what happened? He got out. They let him out. And amazingly enough, the day they let him out, was Rosh Hashanah, which is exactly the day that the Jewish people also were freed. It's not the day we left, but it's the day the Gemara says, on Rosh Hashanah, the decree in Egypt as being slaves stopped. Exactly the same day that Yosef was let out, and all of a sudden he went from rags to riches. <laughs> he became the king, or the vice king, and they put gold on his... Uh, uh, they put gold on his shoulders. They put him on a carriage and they started to make a big, big noise. So you see already, the story of Yosef does not remain his story. It becomes our national story. One point, if I may as well. On, uh, on Neil Pesach, Listen, ladies, I know it's Hanukkah, but I'm talking about Pesach. I'm the, I'm the moderator, so I get to choose what holidays I want to talk about when I want to talk about them. And the only reason why I have to talk about Pesach a little because the roots of Pesach is in Parajat Bayeshev. <laughs> so I have no choice but to talk about it. You, you, you don't learn Bayeshev correctly until you introduce Ma'aseh Abot Siman Banim. And I'm sorry to tell you, the Ma'aseh Abot Siman Banim is, is here. So there's a, there's a law, I was going to say a custom, but there's actually a law that says, that says you have to drink four cups of wine on Pesach. But the said it. And the question is why? The question is why? And everybody goes back to first grade, says, oh, what do you mean? This is not a tricky question. And we know the four Lesherot of Geulah. There were four the terminologies that there was used in the redemption, and therefore for each one, we make a, uh, we make a toast, we make a lahai. Good, that's what the Babylonian Talmud says. But you have to learn the Jerusalem Talmud also, because the Jerusalem Talmud has a different opinion. And you're not going to believe it. But the Jerusalem Talmud says, ah, you know why you read the, uh, you know why you have four kosot? Because if you remember... There was a famous dream. When Yosef was in jail, in this week's perashah, he had the butler and the baker. So what happens? So the butler and the baker wake up one morning and they have a dream. And Yosef says, well, tell me the dreams, I'll try to interpret them. So the pasuk comes along and says, by Yosef. He starts to tell him his dreams, the, the butler. By in my dream, being a gefen There was a vine. and in the vine, There was like three branches. All of a sudden, it started to bud and it started to bloom. All of a sudden, grapes came out and they became ripened. And it was only the kos. So Yerushalmi says, that's the first kos. It says kos, that's one. And I took the grapes. 
otam, and I squeeze them, el kos paro, a kos, that's the second kos. Va'eteret a kos, al kaf paro. And then I took the kos and I gave it to paro. Yosef comes along and says, ah, I know that dream. The three branches is three days. In three more days, Paro is going to reinstate you, and you're going to get your job back as the son of Mashkim, Venatata, Kos Paro Beyado, and you're going to give the Kos on its head. So the Yerushalmi says, in the dream and in the interpretation, it says the word Kos four times, three in the dream, one in the interpretation, four Kosot, there's the four Kosot of Lel Seder. And we're scratching our head, and we're saying, what in the world is the connection over here, because this guy had a dream, and it says the word cost four times, you couldn't find a more random, seemingly disconnected episode of a dream of a, of, of a butler, because it says cost four times. What's the connection? And the explanation is, because if we're sitting on Lel Seder, and we're remembering that we went down to Egypt, and we know that why we went down to Egypt is because because Yosef went out. Well, Yosef also left. He got freed. He left the prison. And what were the roots of how he left the prison? It was the dream. And therefore, and in the dream where it was mentioned the four kosot, that's how the Yitziat Mitzayim So on Leil Seder, when we're drinking the four kosot, we're remembering the origins of the Ma'ase Avot. And the Ma'ase Avot, there was four kosot. The four kosot, actually, that was the catalyst of the dream of the butler that actually Yosef interpreted, which eventually got him out of prison. And eventually it was the son of Ashkim that would tell Paro, hey, there's a, there's a Jewish boy, a Jew boy in the prison that knows how to interpret dreams. And eventually Yosef comes out. And all that began from what? A dream with Arba Kosot. So Allah said that we're going back to the DNA of, of, of the Herut. The DNA of Yitzhak Mitzrayim actually is uh, in the prison, in the jail, the four Kosot. So that's something, something amazing. I recently heard uh, from a Rabbi Bernstein, may live and be well, he said something on his own, but I uh, think it's beautiful. Yosef, on the night, Yosef, had, there was another dream. There was another dream of the, of the baker. Remember that dream? Okay, I forgot it, so let me go back. Oh, yeah. So it says he was in his dream, and he had three baskets of bread, of baked goods, and then the birds came, and they ate it, and Yosef said, oh, that's it, three more days, they're going to they're gonna chop your head off, they're going to hang you. And that's exactly what happened. So that's also part of the redemption, because he got both dreams right. He went, you know, two for two. So you have over here, on Lel Seder, a representation of the four kosot. That's the butler's dream. But what about the baker's dream? Well, you see, every time we sit down to a meal, whether it's Shabbat and Yom Tov, we always have two loaves of bread in front of us. The only night of year that we have three loaves of bread in front of us is Del Pesach. And he wants to say that possibly that the three loaves, that's a remez to the three loaves of the Sada Ofim. So you have over here on Lil Seder already the Sada Mashkim and the Sada Ofim. You got all that, all that stuff, all that stuff working. So my point is just to use that in this example to show you that the impact that Yosef has is, is very great. It's, it's very, very far-reaching. Now, what does this have to do with Hanukkah? That's a great question. I'm not too sure. But I started to open up some of the, uh, some of the Sefarim. And I start to see that um, the Megale Amukot, for example, one of the great rabbis, he starts to draw lines and parallels to Hanukkah to Yosef HaSadiq. And he sees that the Ma'aseh Avot, Siman Labanim of Hanukkah, actually is in the story of Yosef. And he starts to give very, very interesting gematrio, just to make it sweet. He says, for example, Antiochus, who was the king of uh, 
the Greeks, is the same numerical value as Yosef, which indicates to us that Antiochus, let's say, would be on the side of Tum'ah, and the balance of the neutralizer against him is Yosef. He then says, Melech Yavan, also Gematria Yosef, king of Yavan. And they start to make all sorts of connections. The question is, it's not so obvious. So what is going on over here? So in order to understand uh, the connection, the miracle and the story of Hanukkah is much different than most of the miracles and holidays that we commemorate. Most of the holidays we're commemorating uh, a holiday that Goim tried to kill us and we survived it and that's like Purim and that's uh, Pesach. That's most of the holidays are that That's the basic theme and then let's have dinner. But the point is when it comes to Hanukkah it's still different. Because there, there wasn't a physical uh, threat to the Jewish people, actually. It was more of a spiritual threat. The Pasuk says that they intended to cause us to forget the Torah by assimilating us. And they wanted to introduce into the Jewish homes Greek, you know, philosophy, Greek lifestyle, Greek, Greek way, Greek thinking. And over the course of time, the Torah would seep out and the Greek, uh, you know, uh, uh, way would seep in. And before you know it, and it happened, you had the Hellenists. So the story of Hanukkah, which is the majority of the people actually bought into the Greek culture, the Ramban writes that besides the Hashmonaim and a few families, the Jewish people were 99% assimilated. I don't think there was a worse, I mean, besides today, I don't think there was a worse a period in history where the Jewish people went off the derech. So Hanukkah is a double story. It's the Greeks against the Jews, but it's also the Jews against the Jews, where we never have a holiday like that, which means we weren't only fighting uh, the war on the outside, which is the Greeks, but here you have the Jews against the Hellenists, which were Jewish people. <laughs> this is a war against brothers, which is similar to the story of Yosef and the brothers. <laughs> that over here, you, you see the first time in history we have a, a mahloket between brothers themselves, which was actually part of the story of Hanukkah. It's the Jews fighting themselves, trying to bring the Hellenists, to trying to convince the religious people to join them, and we're trying to bring them back. And It's a, it's a mahloket ahim. Now watch, watch what happens over here. In the story of, uh, of Hanukkah, it was, a, it was a war of values. Of values. Values. They were trying to introduce their values, their degenerate, low-life values into the fold of Judaism. And we had, to, we had to push back, we had to, we had to hold back. I want to say a very, very big hadush here. We, I think we take this for granted. Everybody knows the word Hanukkah. And what does Hanukkah stand for? Hanukkah. That they rested on Chafeh. Where they rest from? From the war. So there was a, it, this actually turned into a physical war, this, this Ma'lok did. It started off uh, uh, ideological, but it ended up on a, on, a, on, a, on a battlefield. And it was them against us, and we all know what happened. And finally, when the 25th of Kislev came, whew, Hanukkah, we finally rested. Hanu means we rested. We rested when on the 25th of Kislev. And then what happened? So I'm going to read you the Gemara. And I think we take this for granted. They came in and they defiled all the oils. And when the Hashmonaim overpowered them in the war, what did they do? They went right to the Beit HaMikdash and they lit the menorah. Now when did they lit the menorah? On that same day. Now, I find that to be amazing. Because you just finished fighting a war. 
I would assume that they would say, Rabotai, everybody go home, take a shower, go have some uh, latkes, go eat some, have some dinner, relax. It's a hectic time. This is a stunning miracle. And you know what? Tomorrow, or even after the weekend, we'll go back to the Beit HaMikdash. Everybody bring your Lysol. Everybody bring your Burel. We got to kosher this place up. It's defiled by the, by the Greeks. And then we'll start with the same day. That means they went straight from the war to the Beit HaMikdash, same day. I think that's missed in the, in, in the, in the analysis. Hanu Chafim means Hanu from the Milhama, but they didn't go to sleep. They went straight from... What else does Hanukkah stand for? Hinuch, inauguration. And I think there's a connection between the two. That on the same day that they were Hanu from the war... They actually went straight to Hanukkah to be Mahanech. Which is incredible. And why? Because what were they fighting against the Greeks? They were fighting for the Veta Mikdash. They were fighting for the purity, for the Shem and Zayed Zag, for pure Torah values and, and ethics and, 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 and understanding and Hashkafah. So therefore, I don't think the war was won on the battlefield. The war is only won after they get to the Beit HaMikdash and they light the menorah. Now they could take the flag of victory. Which I believe that if the B'nai Yisrael would have went home, let's say, you know what the Greeks would have said? We beat them. Because that's the way we, we would have reacted after a war. You win the war, you go to sleep. That's what Greeks do. because they just care about their body. The fact that the Jewish people went straight from Hanukkah here to Hanukkah to Mizbeah, then the Greeks said, well, they got us. Because that's what we were fighting over. So the war is not over until you get to the, to the Beit HaMikdash and, and finish it. Once they lit the menorah, now the Jewish people said, okay, now we won the war. Now the, the light of the Torah is back and they uh, 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 can claim victory. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an ideological war that is fought on the battlefield, but ultimately it only finishes in the Beit HaMikdash, when they light the menorah. Now because of this, because of this, we have a very interesting Rokeyah. The Rokeyah writes about Yosef HaSadik. What does the Pasuk say? V'Yisrael ahavet Yosef. He loved Yosef, why? He was born to him in his old age. And the parents tend to favor the child that's born to them in the old age. Because all the other kids are out getting got married, and this kid's home, and they have dinner with them, and they take care of them, and they keep them company. So, Ben Zikunim, they call that. Ben Zikunim. Everybody loves the Ben Zikunim. Okay, fine. But then. Uh, Rashi brings down a different interpretation from the Targum. Zikunim bar hakim. It was bar hakim. Was it bar hakim? He had wisdom. He was bar hakim. He was uh, smart. The Yamara says that all the Torah that he learned in Yeshivat Eber, he taught to Yosef, which I think is incredible because. Yosef left the house at 17, so he was able to teach him, I mean, a lot of, a lot of Torah in that time. And I once heard a beautiful explanation from the Meir and Hakamim, the Harab Me'otstrovza. He says something beautiful. He says, when Yaakov Abin was going to Laban's house, he stopped off in Yeshivat Shem Ve'ever for 14 years. What did he have to stop off for 14 years? He was learning for 63 years. I mean, he graduated already. Explanation is because he needed another 14 years to prepare him to live in Laban's house, because that's not an easy place to live. And Yaakov had a premonition that Yosef was going to need that same, that same Torah. So he taught him, not any Torah, but he taught him the Torah that he learned during those 14 years. So says the Rav, at what age do we start teaching our children Torah? At three. So therefore, it took him 14 years to teach him the Torah of Shem and That's why at 17 already he was inoculated in order to go now to... Mitzrayim and be protected. So it's interesting how the math works out. 
So therefore, the rabbis are learning ben zikunim from the word zakin. Zakin is a scholar. He was ben zikunim. He had the zikna, meaning he had young boy, but he had sagacious old wisdom. But I don't know, you don't have a homash in front of you, but if you look at the word zikunim, it's missing a vav. It should be spelled zeku, after the kaf, the shkuf, there should be a vav. Zekunim. It's written like, I don't have the kudot in the Torah. It's like written zekanim. It's missing a vav. So the Rukiah says, why is it missing a vav? Because you could read it. Zayin kanim. Seven sticks. Seven lamps. And the Rabbanim, the Rukiah says, because the menorah that has seven lamps represents wisdom. You face the menorah, and therefore this man, Yosef, he was like the menorah. He's been Zayin Kanim. He has all the wisdom that emanates from the menorah. And what did the brothers do with this menorah? They sent it to an alien culture. They sent it to a foreign land, and now Yosef, who's the menorah, represents Bar Hakim, the Zayin Kanim, has to make sure that the influence of Mitzrayim will not infiltrate. And this is an impossibility. Because Yosef is one man. And he's fighting against and Mitzrayim was the most perverted place. People were, forget about the black magic part of it, but they were low in their, in, in, in their lifestyles. You see with Eshet Potiphar, the married ladies, this was going on all over Egypt. It was a decadent place, and Yosef is handsome, and he's young, and he's alone, there's no Jews, even Habad wasn't there at the time. So he has nobody to, 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 to protect him. Is this not the similar story of Hanukkah, where you have the Jew with his values that represent the menorah, and find themselves in an alien culture of Yavan, and now the, 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 the name, the, the, the goal over here is not to let it infiltrate. Well, let's see what happens. Quran this week's Pedasha says, Torah says, he's working for Potiphar. So the Pasuk says, Vayar Adonav ki Hashem ito. Potiphar saw that God is with this man. How does he know God is with him? What did he see? What does he see exactly? So that she says, Shem Shamaim Shagur Befiv. Yosef is always saying Hashem's name. You ever see people? Be'ezat Hashem, Baruch Hashem, Emir Hashem, Beshatat Hashemayan. They say, Be'ezat Hashem, Be'ezat Hashem, Be'ezat Hashem. They say it three times. Everything is about Hashem. Emir Hashem. That was Yosef. So he saw. Now, did, did he actually see him saying this? Yosef was running around the house saying it? So if you, he was saying it out loud? I mean, that would be a little strange. That'd be walking around, you know, saying Hashem's name in, in, in a loud way in the house of the Goy. So I saw the Mizrahi on the that she says something beautiful. He calls the Midrash. He was always mumbling. His lips are always uh, moving. So Botifar says. He thought he was doing black magic. So he says, what do you mean, you're bringing black magic to Egypt? We, we, we wrote the book on black magic. Why don't you bring us another trick? But he noticed, he tells me, he, he tells, Potiphar tells Joseph, pour me hot water. Whatever was in the urn is hot. No, I changed my mind. I want it warm. He pours it, it's warm. So he says, wow. You're, you're good at black magic. So the Gemara says, no. But all of a sudden, the presence of God was so strong by Yosef, the Shekhinah was on him. He saw, which we would say, the light. And that's why the Pesuk says, Vayar Adonav. Vayar, he actually saw it. Ki Hashem ito. And he saw the blessing was coming, and that's 
Shem Shamayim Shigura Befiv. He said, oh, you're not saying black magic. Who are you mentioning? Oh, I say Yud Kevavke, I say Shemot. And when Parog meets Yosef for the first time, he says, I heard you interpret dreams. He said, no, I don't interpret nothing. Therefore, Shem Shamayim Shigura Befiv. That was his secret. Go back to what happened in Yavan. Malchut Yavan. They made a decree that you have to write on the horn of an ox. En lachem chelek b'lohei Yisrael. Now did you ever ask why on the Kenan Hashor? Why an ox? Because Yosef is compared to the shore. And they also knew that there's some connection. Because if Yosef wins, and Yosef will keep the connection between B'nai Yisrael and God, the Greeks lose. So therefore, go take the shore, which is Yosef, and write, in lanu chelik Yisrael. This is in order to neutralize. So this is Antiochus Gematria Yosef. <laughs> He's trying to break that... And, and thank God Yosef did not lose the connection, because if he would have lost the connection, then forget about the Mityavnim, the Hashwanaim would have went also. The only reason why we survived it is only because the menorah, which is Yosef, Zayin Kanin, was able to withstand the, the pressures of what went on in, in Misraim. Oh, the Gemara. The Gemara over here is in, uh, I don't know, Rosh Hashanah, page 18. Everybody know the, some of the decrees that the Greeks did in the times of Hanukkah? Beautiful. They took away Shabbat. That's why there's always a Shabbat in Hanukkah. Sometimes there's two Shabbats. They took away Rosh Chodesh. That's why there's always Rosh Chodesh in Hanukkah. Rosh Chodesh always has to be on Hanukkah, Tibet. What else did they take away? Brit Milah. That's why Hanukkah is eight days. Can they get Brit Milah? Everybody knows everything. But the Gemara says they took away something else. It's not so well known. But they took away something else. So the Gemara says, Ah, listen to the Gemara says, When the Hashmonaim overcame, and beat them, they made a new takana, shem shamayim afilu that for now on, when you write even a legal document, you write Hashem's name. They would, they would write their documents like this. In the year so-and-so, the Yohanan Kohen Gadol El Elion. They would put God's name, El Elion, in documents. Why would they start to put Hashem's name in legal documents? Oh, it's because when the Greeks were in charge... One of the decrees was you can't say Hashem's name. They were trying to eradicate not the Jews. They actually wanted to keep the Jews. They wanted to eradicate God. And once you take God away from the Jews, the Jew will uh, disappear on his own. And therefore, after the war was over, they made a new takana, back to putting Hashem's name everywhere. But where did that come from? No, the rabbis actually undid that because they were throwing the shtarot in the garbage. And they were worried about the problem of the Girizah. But it started, exactly, it starts from Yosef, Shem Shamaim Shagud Befiv. And the Greeks exactly tried to, tried to undo it. And, of course, if we can continue just for a moment... The main accomplishment of Yosef at this point of his life was when he was in the house of Potiphar. And now you have uh, the values of Potiphar's wife, which are immodest and immoral and decadent. And she's seducing Yosef, yom yom. And Yosef is able to overpower the temptation of assimilation, which is exactly the temptation that the Greeks were doing to the Jewish people, they were trying to seduce uh, uh, the men and the women to become one homogenized nation. Uh, the only reason why it didn't happen is because Yosef is able to withstand that. 
Now I tell you what Rabbi Levi Yitzhak Mebertichev says. I told you two explanations why it's called Hanukkah. First, Hanukkah. Second, Hanukkah. But Levi Yitzhak Mebertichev says something amazing. You know why it's called Hanukkah? Is Hanukkah a male holiday or a female holiday? Well, it has to be a female holiday, because Hanukkah, there's a hair at the end. So you have something to be, uh, be proud of. Uh, uh, Hanukh would be, Hanukh would be a male holiday, but they added a hair to it. So Rav Levi Yitzhak Mibardichev says, that's the Gemara's question. My Hanukkah, why they call Hanukkah with a hair at the end? Why do they make it a female? If they're talking about Hanukh, the inauguration, call it Hanukh. Maza Hanukkah, my Hanukkah. So he said, because the first year of Hanukkah, there was tremendous strength of Kiddushah that the Jewish people were able to overcome the Greeks, not on the battlefield only, but they were able to push away the values and they were able to find Shem and Zayitzak, which represents, they were able to perpetuate and to maintain pure Jewish values. It was a tremendous Now that doesn't happen every year. That doesn't happen. They were lucky that year. But the Gemara says that after the miracle happened in year one, listen to the language of the Gemara. They found Pakshemen, there was only enough for one day, it lasted for eight days. Now listen to the Gemara. Lishana Aheret, which means what? The next year, Kavum Ba'asaum Yamim Tovim. It's interesting. They waited a year. Why did they establish right away? Rabotai, we're making an announcement now. Every year at this time, we're making a It seems they waited a year before they uh, decided to make a holiday. Why? You know what Rabbi Levi Yitzhak says? They didn't know if this energy that happened is going to be recurring. See, sometimes you have once-in-a-lifetime events, and that was the event, and that's it. The miracle happened, that's it. But sometimes, if it's a real Jewish holiday, the energies will repeat themselves every time that day comes, if it's a real holiday. So they had to wait. Leshana Acheret, all of a sudden they started to feel tremendous Kiddushah. They, they started to feel a tremendous uh, 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 protection against the Goy philosophy. They started to feel that uh, the Jewish ideology was superior and they were able to protect themselves they said, wow, this is the way we felt last year. This is exactly the way we... So they said, you know what? We see this is not a once-in-a-lifetime event. This is perpetuating. This is giving birth. And therefore, the holiday is not a male holiday. It's Hanukkah. It's a female holiday. Because Hanukkah, that means it perpetuates just like a lady gives birth. Every single year as Hanukkah comes, it has the same, the same effect. Which is interesting because by Pesach it says, Leil Shemurim Hu. The night of Pesach is called Leil Shemurim. Hu Halayla Hazeh. So the Hachamim say it starts off calling Pesach Leil, but then it calls it Laila. Because the first year it was Leil. But then the next year when it repeated, the energies came back. They said, This is not Leil, this is Laila. This is feminine. This is something that reproduces. And therefore, as we come to Hanukkah, the same energies that Yosef had, of Shem Shamayim Shagur Vefiv, and the ability to protect himself from assimilation, those energies come and repeat themselves again. We're coming now to eight days of the year that there's no days like this. These days have tremendous kohot, and where do we make the main focus? So the rabbis tell us, we want you to do everything like they did in the Beit HaMikdash. They used the menorah, so you light the menorah. They used oil, so we want you to try to use oil. And in the Beit HaMikdash, you're not allowed to benefit from the light. We don't want you to benefit from the light as well. So we're doing everything to copy. So I had a simple question. And where did they light? In the Beit HaMikdash. So we should make a law, light in the Beit HaMikdash. We have no Beit HaMikdash today. We have Beit Knesset. But that's all we should light. That's all we should light. We should make a law that says, everybody come to the Knesset at 4.30. We're 
We're going to make a public lighting in the Bet Knesset, like they did in the Bet Hamikdash. Where did they get this business to light it in the house? And the explanation is, is because Judaism teaches us that not only is the Bet Knesset a miniature Bet Hamikdash, but the Jewish home is a miniature Bet Hamikdash. So we're lighting in the Bet Hamikdash. The bayit of the Jew has the Shekhinah in it. And therefore when we come to Hanukkah, we're lighting in the Jewish home a light, a small light in front of our windows in order to shed light to the street, which is dark. And we come along and say, from this holy place, the Jewish home, that's where the values will come. Not the opposite. The light does not come from the street into the house because their light is darkness. <laughs> By the green, they put all their lights in the street. They put all the lights in... The... <laughs> By us, we put the lights in the house. The light must come from within the Beit HaMikdash. And from there, it emanates out. And therefore, we have a tremendous, tremendous ability during these days to be inoculated just like Yosef was. Ma'aseh avot siman ma'aseh Yosef siman Not only did he create Pesach, but we're going to give him credit for already creating the DNA of the holiday of Hanukkah. And uh, it's our prayer. Mosif veholech. That's why we always go up. Mosif. That's the Indian of Yosef. Mosif veholech. We keep on lighting, going up. It is our prayer. We're living in a very, very dangerous time. The Jewish home is under assault. Jewish values are very hard to keep. The children are falling to the wayside. There's too much access to not only vices like gambling and all other things that it's very easy for the kids to fall into, but all different anti-Torah ideas it's very easy. The Malchut Yavan today is very, very strong in, in principle. Hanukkah is a time to pray for your children, to pray for your grandchildren by the lights of the menorah, to ask the Creator, give them the strength of Yosef, give them the, but it's up to the parents to make sure that we don't allow the influence of Yavan to enter the house. On the contrary, only the light, like Hudi, Maita, Ora, Ora is Torah. And as a prayer, Keshem Shakadosh Baruchu Asadanu Nisim. Those same energies are around today. The inoculation against the pervasive society is around every year. Six minutes. Granted, the lady from New Jersey, New York has granted six minutes.